All right. Let's, uh, let's jump into, uh, we're, we're kind of continuing this, and I'm being teased by the staff just a little bit because um, I was asked, like, how long is this sermon series going to last? And I was like, when I'm done, I'll let you know. Um, and it was like, okay, so the sermon series that will not end. It's not quite that, but uh, the, the point of the matter is there's just still some things that are on my list that I would like to share with you um, that are kind of in this, there I said it, um, sermon series that we're doing today, um, and we're going to jump into this, and you are more than welcome um, if you are in this building to contact me and say, hey, I've got some questions about this, that, or the other thing, or I'd like to meet with you over lunch or over coffee or something like that and just say, I'd like to hear you expound on this just a little tiny bit more, okay? So this is the title that I want to give you today. Just because you don't speak in tongues doesn't mean the gifts are not for today. There. I said it. Now, if you're saying, hey, wait a minute, we're supposed to get presents when we came in? Is it Christmas? What's going on? No, I'm specifically talking about the gifts of the Spirit listed or shared with us by Paul in the 12th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, they tend to be something that is a little bit um, polarizing in churches. They tend to be something that's a little bit confusing in churches. Um, and I promise you, I do not have a magic pill to straighten it all out. I don't. I just want to share with you where we are, who we are, and what the Scripture says to you and I that we need to wrestle with and embrace, and we will embrace continually as we move forward. So right now, I just want to stop and invite you, and I'm going to use my Bible. Um, it'll show up up on the screen up there for you. You can obviously open up to you version or um, another Bible app, the Blue Bible app or whatever it is I also have on my phone. You can go there. Um, and we're going to follow along in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. And we're going to look what Paul says to the church in Corinth. Now, before I actually start reading that, let me just remind you that every time that we read a letter from Paul, we are reading an answer. We're not reading the questions, we're reading the answer. And so somewhere in here we're attempting to surmise what the church in Corinth wrote to Paul and what they were asking about and what they were talking about, and we're just going to do our level best. That's it. That's all we're going to do is just our level best. But we're going to try to understand maybe what was going on behind the scenes as Paul was writing to the church in Corinth that was having some struggles. And I love the way he starts. Paul didn't have chapter 12, he had page 3, okay? So he just had pages. There was no chapters, no verses, nothing like that in his, his reckoning here. Now, he says, now, since I've told you 11 chapters of stuff, okay, now, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. I love that. He doesn't want us to be ignorant, very important to you and I. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you influenced and led, uh, you were influenced and led astray to mute, mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but there is the same God, excuse me, the same God works all of them in all men. Now, okay, since we've established the fact that, that there is only God, the focus God, the purpose is God, and God is our reason, now 
To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, if you happen to have a Bible here, I really would encourage you to underline that because that is so critical and so pertinent to so many different things that are going on in our culture today. That verse right there is, is just a hook for people to stop and understand you know, where they are and who they should be in the church uh, in the world today. Now... To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given, and this is the important part, for the common good. To the one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another uh, miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. And all these are the work of the one and same Spirit, and He gives them to each one, once again, another important thing for you to underline, as He determines. The Holy Spirit will decide how that is going to play out. Let me do this for just a second, because that's a little too far away, and I'm old. Okay? There. All right. So this is where we are. So we need to understand that Paul is writing this particular passage in answer to a letter that was written to him that he received in which the church in Corinth was saying, listen, what about this? What about these gifts? What about these um, speaking in tongues? What about all of this you know, stuff that's going on in our midst? How do we know? How do we understand? How do we deal with this? And so he's writing from Greece, uh, or excuse me, to the church in Greece. And just understand that where Paul is writing, there is a church that is trying to be faithful to Jesus Christ. And Corinth was settled by Phoenicians who brought into the area an economy as well as very, very immoral religious practices as pagans. Okay? Just, just hold on to that for just a second. It became a very, very prominent city in the hands of the Romans when the Romans conquered it, okay? It became a, 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 a city that um, trade routes went through, and as a result of that, um, you know, commerce um, went around the world, right? And the Romans um, became, that area became very, very wealthy, and then it became a very, very luxurious. They just indulged themselves in all the luxury. This was the bougie center of Rome. That's what this was, okay? And then, as a result, it also became almost the capital of immorality. It was just like these people were not going to keep from themselves anything that they wanted, wanted to do, wanted to try, wanted to experience, wanted to be involved in. They weren't going to do it. And that became the, the place where it was happening. As a matter of fact, there was a phrase in ancient times found in ancient writings that, that talked about the idea that the goal was to live like a Corinthian. That these people were wicked and they lived like a Corinthian. Or you would have arrived if you could live like a Corinthian. If you could just immerse yourself in whatever you wanted to do, whenever you wanted to do it, with no boundaries, you could live like a Corinthian. And there's people that think that's just the greatest thing in the world. I love what uh, Billy Graham had to say about that concept one time when he was up preaching, and, and I shared this before, but it, it, he said to an, uh, a stadium full of people, he said, great, if you had all the money you could ever want in your world, in your life, in your being, and if you had all the power that you could ever want in your, in your life or in your being, 
And if you had all the sex that you could ever want in your life and in your being, then what would your life consist of? Now what would you do with it? And that's what this is talking about. That's what this commentary was speaking of when it meant to live like a Corinthian. At some point, all of that is not what you're looking for. And even Solomon, um, um, as he was writing the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, he, he, he reaches in and he says, listen, I never kept myself from anything that I wanted to taste, touch, experience, do. And he gets to the end of it and he says, and I found out that all of it was nothing if I was living apart from God. And that's what Paul is trying to get across to us here. You know, at one point there were 200,000 free people living in Corinth. So stop and say, hey, where do we have something that's got 200,000 people in it? My brain was going, okay, so how many people are in Lexington versus how many people are in Louisville? And then I kept reading. It's like, no, there were 200,000 free people living in Corinth. There were half a million slaves from Roman conquest living in Corinth. So there's 700,000 people living in Corinth at the time. Okay, and, and that was the situation. And so um, Paul plants this church in Corinth, and these people in Corinth are saying, we're living inside of this absolute lasciviousness, this immorality, and we're trying to be faithful, and we're trying to understand the gifts of the Spirit as we stand up against the darkness that's tempting our children. I mean, come on. We think that we live in a world right now that's spinning out of control, and what's happening to our kids, and what's happening to our grandkids, and what's going on? I'm telling you, that was the daily the daily walk to work for the people in Corinth. Just filthy immorality because back then, religion was a very, very real part of their life that was always expressed. It was expressed at the grocery store. It was expressed in slaying your livestock in order to hang it at the grocery store. It was expressed at the temple. It was expressed at the various temples. It was expressed in your lifestyles. Immorality I mean, we think that we live in a horrible place. It's like we're just now getting an idea of what it means to live bombarded by immorality. And by immorality, I don't just always mean sex. I mean just a lascivious nature that if I have more, I'll be happier. If I have greater, I'll be happier. I'm taking some people through a preaching class, leadership class right now. And one of the things they had to do is stand up on the stage and introduce themselves and then, you know, tell the congregation why they're here and why I'm not here. And to the man, they, they were just like, and Pastor Joe is off buying another dog. Okay, I get it. I get it. Even you think I have too many dogs. I get it. Okay. My wife said no more right now. There will not be any more. I get it. I can't live in the lasciviousness of just buying as many dogs as I want to keep buying. I just can't do that. So this church of Jesus Christ in Corinth is situated in a cauldron, a cesspool, if you will, of humanity. And that's what's going on in their lives. Let me just share with you these couple of things that crossed through my head, so I wrote them down. There is no declaration of independence in Corinth. There is no constitution guaranteeing personal rights in Corinth. There is no freedom from tyranny in Corinth. There is no freedom from political abuse in Corinth. There is no racial equality in Corinth. There was empirical, the empirical rule of Rome and the emperor himself, Caesar. And I only share those things just to stop and make the statement that these people still chased after Jesus with all of their heart, even if they had to hide 
while they did it. And their lives were in jeopardy for doing it. And I love that as Paul brings this together, he makes it very clear in this passage, his reason, his reason for writing this is, I do not want you to be ignorant. I need you to know. He says it in this passage, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 he says it, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 he said some are ignorant of God. And it's like, are we living ignorant of God? In John 14, Jesus begins to talk to us about the Holy Spirit himself and says, if you love me, keep my commands and I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth, capital S. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives in you and is in you and I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And he just jumps right in there. He just said, before I leave the planet, I need you to know that I have to go because I need to send to you the Holy Spirit. And he will teach you in verse 26, not on here, but it's going to show, uh, it's, it's, it, if you read on, in, it will say that he will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've said. So the Holy Spirit of God is going to do two very, very specific things, two very specific things when Jesus lives, uh, leaves. The first thing he's going to do is he's going to teach us um, all things. And then he's going to remind us of everything that Jesus said. Now listen, those are two entirely different things. Those of you that think that we know all that we're ever going to know and that's all there is to it, that is not what that scripture says. That scripture says that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things, even things that aren't covered yet. And he will remind you of everything that Jesus said. Those are two entirely different things. And we can trust the Holy Spirit in that. Teach and remind Teach us everything, remind us of all things. As a congregation, as a church, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And after his resurrection, but while he was still here, Jesus again says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, he came with the sound of a violent wind, and it's kind of tied just a little tiny bit. Jesus blew on the people that were in front of him. So there's a wind, another word used um, for the Holy Spirit. And at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came roaring in um, with a violent, like the sound of a violent wind. And then we have this picture of the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire, people speaking in known languages at that time. And with all due respect, I really would challenge some of the, the people that have come to me. And again, this is something that Pastor Janice and I began to press into way back in um, the late 90s and the early 2000s is who is the person of Holy Spirit? Who is the person of the Holy Spirit? Who is God? He's not our servant. He is our God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he deserves the respect of that. And so um, as we recognize that and as we did some research, people would come to me and say, yeah, but the age of the Holy Spirit is the age of the apostles and the age of the apostles is gone with the apostles. I just need you to understand, there is no biblical reference to, to, that I have found to support that. None at all. I, seriously, if you want to grab something out of uh, um, chapter 13, I, I'll sit down and talk to you about that passage first. Because if, the, if speaking in tongues is gone, because Paul says, and speaking in tongues will pass away, the next thing it says is knowledge will pass away. And I'm telling you right now, knowledge hasn't passed away, it's gotten bigger. 
So you're telling me that he was speaking metaphorically and then all of a sudden, for no reason whatsoever, spoke in reality. No, he was speaking in reality in both of them. The time will come when Jesus comes back to get us and then those will pass away. But there is no age of the apostles that passed away and therefore the gifts um, don't matter anymore. Paul, when he writes this, is answering a question about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Luke tells us, that while Peter was given testimony, the Holy Spirit was giving gifts to the Gentile believers as well. In Acts chapter 10, the scripture says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on everybody that heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, you ready for this? Even on Gentiles. How? What did Jesus think he was doing, pouring the Holy Spirit out on Gentiles? Seriously, can you imagine the hubbub that was going on in Jerusalem when they found out that people were just giving it willy-nilly? It's like, wow. But it was so important that the Holy Spirit had come on Gentiles, not the apostles, on the Gentiles that God made sure it was written down in the book of Acts. For they heard, the apostles heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And that meant in all his power and glory and reckoning and speaking and teaching and reminding. So he ordered that the Gentiles be baptized in the name of Jesus the Christ, and they asked Peter to stay with him for a few more days. So in Paul's letter to the Corinth, he reminds the people of this. You used to follow mute idols. That's how we know that that's what he's answering a question about their paganism, because he begins to say, now God speaks to you. See? And then he says, there are different kind of gifts, so we know there was a question that they were speaking like, maybe somebody thought one gift was better than the other. And, and Paul is saying, time out. Different people have different gifts, okay? Hold on here. We don't all have to get the same one. Chill. And then he says, all the gifts need to be Christocentric. They need to be Christ-centered. And that is a big deal. If you're writing that down, circle it. The gifts of the Holy Spirit have to be Christ-centered. If they're not bringing glory and honor to Jesus, you might want to have a question about it. Even if it's healing of people, it should bring glory and honor to God in that. Even if it's a word of knowledge, it should bring glory and God, uh, honor to God. And, and sec, uh, the, the last thing in this list I want to share with you is the gifts are to be manifested. They're to be used. We're not supposed to have a gift and sit in a closet somewhere. We're not supposed to have a gift and sit on our hands. We're not supposed to have a gift and, 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 and not know it even. But there are supposed to be the gifts of the Spirit, and they're supposed to be manifested. And manifested doesn't mean like some kind of a magic thing. It just simply means you're supposed to use your gifts. Use them. It's okay. God wants to work, and we live like God wants us to sit on our hands and wait for the trumpet to blow, and that's not the case. We use them so that they can be manifested, and it is very important, and I invited you to consider it for the common good of everybody. Now, let me just say this, and I'm saying it to you. are watching online. There may be a good reason for that. I'm saying it to you in here. I have heard, I have seen so many memes on social media in the last couple of years. I know, I know the, the great disease not to be mentioned, you know, probably played into it. I have seen so many people say, 
I can sit on the 12th hole of this golf course and I can worship God maybe even better than I can in, in church. I can go canoeing and kayaking and I can go fishing and I can worship God. Yeah, you can. You absolutely can. I can worship God while I'm driving down the highway and I can almost lose my salvation if you're in the left lane going 69 miles an hour. Man, there was something going on yesterday on the highway. Excuse me for my little um, tangent. Get out of the left lane if you're not passing somebody. I don't care how fast you're going. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. Ask a cop. Okay, let's get back to where I'm righteous. Okay, all right, here's the deal. You can be cruising down the highway and worshiping God. You can be doing all the things and worshiping God. But you were not created to do that by yourself. God did not pour out gifts on you so that you could make an excuse to sit on the 12th green and say, I'm worshiping God better than those other people. They better not say, hey, we missed you at church. You were created to be a part of a body, God's word, not mine. You were created to be part of a bride, God's word, not mine. You were created to be gifted and be come together and use those gifts for the good of everybody else. Here's the deal. When you sit on that fairway in that golf cart and you're saying, I can worship God right here, what you're saying, please send me an email. It's all about me. Because you just said, I can, I can. And you forgot that the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to give you a gift for everybody else around you. It's not for you. See, that's why we stand up against silly social media memes. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. But even the idea that we become a little egocentric or a little narcissistic, Jesus told us that. He specifically said in Matthew 24 that the day is coming that because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will go, grow cold. I don't care about you in this room anymore. I care about, am I happy? I care about, did I come to church and did I get something about it? I, I, I care that I walked in here and I did tithe or I didn't tithe. I, I care that I'm a part of this, but I do serve or I don't serve because it really is all about me. And the whole point of surrendering your life to Jesus is giving up and sacrificing your life to Jesus. That means I'm willing to sacrifice my language. I'm willing to sacrifice my entertainment choices. I'm willing to sacrifice my dog. I'm willing to sacrifice my wants and desires. I'm willing to sacrifice it because I just know that God is doing something amazing. And I get to be a part of it. And I've got to stop saying, well, why didn't you do it for me, God? Why didn't you give me this? Why didn't you give me that? Because the Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit will decide who gets what gift. And I'm not the one who said that. I read it to you right out of the Bible. I don't have the, the, the permission to, to say this is what I want the Bible to say. I only have permission to do my level best to tell you this is what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit gets to decide, and it's as the need arises. You speak in tongues? Great. In a couple of minutes, you might also get a word of knowledge. You don't just get one. You get whatever the Lord needs for you to do at the time that he needs you to do it, if you are available, and I would say most of you, listen, not, try, not trying to be mean, are not very often available to God. We don't have time to read our Bible. We don't have time to pray. We don't have time to stop and help that person. We don't have time. See what I mean? 
We don't have time. Think about it and let it wrestle with it. Don't just stand up and get mad because I'm saying these things. Wrestle with it. I prayed and prayed and prayed with a conservative little Mennonite widow one time in her trailer house in western Oklahoma. And I said, Lord, if you want me to speak in tongues, I'll speak in tongues. I just want whatever you want. I don't know what you want. I'll have what you want. I'll... And it was before I knew how to be available to God, but I was trying. I was hungry. And, and I've said it before from this stage, I know, but you could have plugged a radio into the air that night. It was Sunday night after church. She asked if she could pray for my wife and I in secret. Don't tell anybody that I'm praying for you to receive the Holy Spirit. And it was really, I mean, it was sad, but in a humorous sort of way because we were like trying to run into the Holy Spirit, knock him down and not let go of him. And this lady started praying on us and she looked at me and she said, can I pray for you in tongues? I said, you can pray for me however you want. Just pray for me. And she started praying. And all the hairs on the back of my neck started standing up. And, and, and it was just like, whoa. And, and I just heard the Lord say, Joe, I need you to speak for me. Is, can that be enough for you? And I said, Lord, whatever you want for me can be enough for me. And it wasn't too long after that that I ran into the passage in the book of Isaiah that began to unfold our leaving western Oklahoma. Because the Lord said, okay, it's not enough that you are a, a, a preacher to the Jews. I need you to preach to the Gentiles and the rest of the world as well. And I began to understand, okay, God's calling me out. And that's what's happened. And I'm okay with that. And if God ever wants to do something in my life, I'm here and waiting. I'm here and waiting. But the gift is bestowed. It's not earned or taught. And I will stand up against that all day long. I had a friend of mine in western Oklahoma that as I was, he was a pastor in another church and I was talking to him about this. And he goes, oh, Pastor Joe, listen, 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 dude. He said, I can teach you to do that. And it's like, that's not the definition of a gift. I do not agree with you. I, I vehemently do not agree with you. No. The scripture over and over and over again says the gift is bestowed by the Holy Spirit. It is not earned. It is not taught. It is not necessarily shared. It is received with the laying on of hands. Please don't say to me, but you've got to do your part. No, you don't. You've got to be available. You've got to be willing. And in my personal opinion, you've got to be hungry. So when we say, why not, then I'm going to ask you, why would he? If we won't be faithful with the little that he gives us, why would he give us more? Now, you can decide the little of what? A little money, a little love, a little friendship circle, a little church, a little whatever it is. If we won't be faithful as a humanity with a little, why would he give us more? That's biblical. I didn't just pull that out of my hat, okay? That's biblical. So what are the gifts? Let me just bring them up real quick. To one there is given the gift of a spiritual message of wisdom. I've been overwhelmed by that one time at the end of a preaching, and it scared me to death. Somebody brought a woman up to be prayed over. Um, a couple did. She was in her early to mid-20s, and they said, would you pray for her? And I began to pray for her, and I want you to be very, very careful. But some things came to my mind, and, and I, I just was scared to death to say it out loud, and I said it out loud, and it was a scary thing to say out loud because, you know, you know whatever. But I knew it was the Lord that was saying it, and I said it out loud, and I got done praying. And when I opened my eyes, the people in front of me that had brought her forward were shocked out of their gore 
gourd, and even she was shocked out of her gourd. And she said, how can you know that about me? And I said, I just prayed as the Lord led me to pray. And when I got to the end of my prayer, I let the Lord decide what to say. And the Lord gave me a, a word of knowledge, a message of wisdom, a word of knowledge to another, um, a word of knowledge by the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit. I will jump in a heartbeat. If there's anything that the Lord's asking me to do, I'm just that guy that will jump in a heartbeat. It's scary sometimes. My wife says, I'm just hanging on by my fingernails with you, chasing after your God. She said, you just jump when he says jump. And it's like, I think that's where we're supposed to be. To another, the gift of healings by that one spirit. To another, miraculous power. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And let me just say right now, let me just put it on the record right here. You're welcome to call me a heretic. It's okay. I do not believe that that gift is exhaustive. I do not, I believe Paul was writing as fast as he could, and he went down through that many gifts, and I believe that he would have taken a little more time, he might have come up with a couple of more. I honestly do. I honestly do. But I do believe he's saying, look at these gifts that the Lord gives us, and James says, listen, we know that all good gifts come down from the Father of light. All good gifts. And so I'm willing to say, listen, if you cut donuts and you do it with a smile and you bring it out and you make somebody feel welcome and loved and, and their interaction, I, I believe that that could end up being a gift of the spirit of hospitality. Come on. I'm not trying to make a bigger lift, list. I'm just telling you, I think the Holy Spirit is still at work. So what do we do? The Holy Spirit is God. And you and I are called to learn from him, and we're called to be led from, by him, and we're called to keep in step with him. That's straight-up scripture. And we don't always do that. But we dare not blaspheme him. And I'm telling you, I've seen some stuff on social media get really close when people start throwing rocks at what's going on at Asbury. I'm just saying... You don't have to agree with it, but be careful because I have never seen the Holy Spirit. I've seen him work. I've seen him move. I've seen him push through like a great wind. I've seen him leave people in this auditorium bawling and crying after singing for 20 minutes and wondering what's happening to me and my family. We can't stop crying. And we've just told him, stay here and keep singing. So if I haven't seen him, how dare I say what is and isn't him? I can say what I will and won't be a part of, and that's another step for you and I to stop and say, will we make ourselves available to God? I, we will. But I just want to encourage you to be very, very, very careful because Jesus was very specific when he said, that's the only sin that you will not be forgiven of. And if that doesn't make you sweat at night, Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, ascribing to the devil the work of the kingdom of God, even if you're not comfortable with it. Be careful, please. So we can blaspheme him. We dare not, the scripture says, and do not grieve the spirit. And do not offend the spirit that is in you. That's the Holy Spirit. And do not quench the spirit that is in you, and that means are you available to him? Are you available to him? 
According to Christianity.com, there are 10 things that the Holy Spirit does. He's a helper who teaches and reminds us. He convicts the world of sin. He dwells in the believer and fills us. And I believe that filling, that outpouring, is what's going on in Asbury. I believe that. Okay? He's a source of revelation, wisdom, and power. I just read that to you straight out of the Scripture. Okay? He guides us in truth of what is to come. He gives spiritual gifts to believers. He see, he's the seal in the life of, of a believer. Um, he helps us in our weakness, intercedes on our behalf, makes um, believers new, grants us eternal life, and sanctifies and enables a, a good fruit in our lives. And you and I are called to be spiritual beings, so spiritual things should happen. And they might, might, might make us a little uncomfortable or freak us out every once in a while. But look at what Jesus said specifically. Jesus said this, not Joe Wood. Not even John who recorded it. Jesus said it. He's standing at a well with a woman. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the, spot, the Father in spirit and truth. For they, this is the important part, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks not the kind he welcomes, the kind he longs for. People that will worship him in spirit and truth. It says God is spirit and his worshipers must. Not should, not could, not will, not can. His worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. When you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the scripture says that you were marked with a seal, a promise, just like that. And that, that promise is the Holy Spirit. Here, let, me, let me just share it with you. Book of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed at the second that it clicked and made sense in your head, in your heart. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit was invested inside of you. You don't need to go get baptized in the Holy Spirit in accordance with John, uh, Acts 19. I'll go one-to-one -one with you on that and tell you why that had to take place in Acts 19. I'll, I'll talk to you about it. The Holy Spirit's already inside of you if you've surrendered. You got baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's not over there in Indiana, excuse me, in West Virginia, waiting on you to beg Him to come and live inside of you. It says right here, at the moment that you believe, you were sealed with a promise, and that promise is the Holy Spirit who is God Almighty. The Holy Spirit is always with you. Now, this is where the rubber hits the road. Will you let him lead you? Will you make yourself available to the Holy Spirit and begin to listen for his voice? Will you be available? Will you be obedient? Will you give it, sell it, follow it, chase it, accept it, be overwhelmed in it? Because these are the, these are the questions that have been going through my, my heart for the last couple of weeks. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? Or do we just go to church? 
Will we step out of our comfort zone? God said, you will seek for me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. Today, we want to pray for people that are hungry for the Holy Spirit and to have freedom to let him move in their lives. And that's what I want the prayer to be today. And I know that opening myself up to God, it should cause Christian people to stop and just repent. And that's what was going on at Asbury. People were stopping and saying, God, we've drifted. We're sorry. We're coming back. Revive me. David would say, restore to me the joy of my salvation because I made it something entirely different than what you were trying to say it was, God. I decided who God was. I decided who the Holy Spirit was. And when it didn't work for me, I'm there. But we stay the course and we persevere because we want to be there when God does do it. It begins with you, not with everybody else. It begins with you being hungry and being willing to admit, not in a microphone, not in front of a million people, but just willing to say, wow, I've been uptight, I've been legalistic, I've been trying to use my own thinking, I've been dabbling in things I shouldn't have been, I've been mad at God and I want to kick him. He knows that. You're not fooling him, just say it. He loves you. He loves you so much he died for you. And that's the end game to let people know that they can be the family of God and we are moved along by the Holy Spirit. Paul said, only let us keep in step with the Spirit of God. Only let us keep in step. This morning, if you're here and you're saying, but why not me? Listen to me. Jesus told the woman, when he told the parable, he said, you keep knocking on that door until the guy inside, the judge, gives you what you want. You don't stop knocking if you have to kick it down. You don't stop knocking until he is so mad that he, he gives it to you. That's how we're supposed to pray. Then why don't we just approach God and then open up our eyes and when he, makes, or he asks us to do something uncomfortable, take a shot at it. I promise you it's going to be a good thing. And if you were wrong, you did a good thing. And if you're right, you did what he asked, and you're starting to get comfortable with his voice. We're going to come to the Lord in prayer now. Father, as we come before you, I just want to say, forgive me, Lord. Standing in your presence just makes me very aware of how much by myself, apart from Jesus Christ, I'm just unclean. I'm just Peter. I'm just another sinner trying to find the free bread. And here you say that you want me in your boat. You want to save me. And yet, God, inside of Jesus Christ, I know that I am there. Holy Spirit, as we come to this part in our service that we leave open for you, we just ask and pray that, that you would be here in our midst. Our hearts are broken with where we've just gone through the motions, where we've just only wanted a little bit of you, but stay over there. I pray that you would begin to move mightily in our lives. I pray that this would be a, a, this would be an Ebenezer, God, right here, that we drive this stake in the ground and we remember this date as a time when you swept through our lives and began to do something specifically 
in each one of us for the benefit of the whole. We just thank you for this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I want to invite you to come to your feet. We're going to go into this song right now. And these people up here are going to pray for you that you make yourself available to the Holy Spirit, that you know that you are forgiven and that the Holy Spirit infills you because I do believe that in the New Testament, a continual infilling of the Holy Spirit, an awakening and a quickening. And it's time, I don't know about you, but, but I'm, I'm hungry for that again. And so during this song, you may come up here and say, I want you to pray for me.